championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. Hello, Lakers Nation. Welcome in. It's that time of year. The Lakers are back. The regular season starting up. What we're going to do is break down the Lakers season. We're going to take a look at the Lakers as a whole, what they've done this offseason, the moves that they've made, and what we need to see out of the team this year. There are so many different storylines to dive into. So joining me to help break it all down is Ron Gutterman from LakersNation.com. Ron, how are you doing, man? I'm doing great. I am excited for this season to start. This is going to be, uh, if if nothing, a very entertaining season of basketball from the Lakers. So I'm just I'm excited to see what what's going to happen. Oh, and six in the preseason has that lessened your excitement at all for the regular season? Uh, no, and and the number one reason is if LeBron James doesn't care about preseason, then I am most certainly not going to care about preseason. Like. What is what 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 do I know that he doesn't know? Like so if he's saying something, I'm going to just go ahead and agree. Uh preseason didn't matter and I'm looking forward for the regular season to start and obviously obviously there's concerns mm -hmm. that came from the preseason, yeah. but I'm mostly going to sweep that under the rug because LeBron and Anthony Davis and Russell Westbrook don't believe it to be a problem. Well, we'll see how that goes for the Lakers. Obviously, we're hoping that that's just you know, some of the little bit of the roster shuffling around, some injuries and things like that that largely led to their lack of success in preseason. But at, like we've been cautioning people, the goal of preseason is not to win games. The goal of preseason is to experiment and play around with different sets and things like that and figure out what works and what doesn't, particularly for a new team. And let's let's actually start there. A brand new team, essentially. You only have three players coming back from last season, one of whom is already hurt. You've got LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and Taylor Horton Tucker, THT, hopefully maybe can be back in a month or so we're thinking somewhere around there but other than those three guys everybody else on the roster was not on the team last season are you surprised that they had this much turnover um you know i'm, I'm not surprised i think uh when the lakers were eliminated in the first round last year there was a lot of this like we got to run it back we got to see mm -hmm. what this team can do at full strength and to me, all of that talk felt very disingenuous. I think Anthony Davis was the only person who like, had the guts to say, hey, we're all saying that now because we just lost. But in a month, in two months, like that, that we may not feel that way. And so let's just wait and see what happens. And I think the Lakers took the right approach by starting over around LeBron and Anthony Davis and just saying, let's figure out a new way. Because last year... I know injuries were a big problem. I know that's probably a part of the reason they they didn't contend for a championship. But also that team had a lot of flaws that I think the injuries pointed light to. Not And, and the injuries weren't the only reason for them. So when I look at this roster, though, we can say, like, on one hand, that sounds ridiculous, right? For a championship contending team to be trying to bring in almost an entirely new roster but they have mitigated this somewhat by adding former Lakers, right? Adding guys who just who weren't on the team last year, but have experience with the Lakers. So going down the roster, uh, you've got Trevor Reza, Kent Bazemore, Wayne Ellington, Dwight Howard. Uh, who else do we have here? Rajon Rondo. All of these guys have Avery Bradley. Avery, yes, now Avery Bradley as well, who just who the Lakers just claimed off of waivers. These are all guys who are familiar with being Lakers, know what it's like to play at Staples Center, know what it's like to be in LA and wear the purple and gold, but they are also familiar with Frank Vogel's systems, aside from the guys like Bazemore and Ariza, who haven't been on the team in like a decade. 
Uh, these are all guys who have experience with this Lakers coaching staff. So I think that helps to make this a little bit less of a learning curve, but it is still there. This is still a very new group. Yeah, and so that's one of the biggest things as we talk about, you know, as we preview the season, um, is to kind of temper our expectations for the first, I would say, month to two months, first month or two of the season. I don't know if the wins are going to be free-flowing. Now, they do have a pretty easy schedule in their first 20 games, so that might help alleviate mm -hmm. some things. But I wouldn't be surprised if in the first 20 games when they're playing some bad teams, if you see, like, a really ugly win against like the Minnesota Timberwolves where they, they win by two and it was close the whole time. Like I would not be surprised if we saw some very ugly wins early on and some ugly losses just because this team is not, not at that point yet where they can just go out there and they have a system in place and they know exactly what they're doing. And it's just, let's get to work. Ron, I think that's really key for Lakers nation to go into this season, expecting some awkwardness, right? If you go in and you say, oh my gosh, look at this roster. This is, they've got how many Hall of Famers are on this team. You've got Dwight, you've got Carmelo Anthony, you've got all these players in addition to, of course, a big three of now Russell Westbrook, LeBron James, Anthony Davis. If you just look at the names, you think you go in assuming that they're going to blow out everybody every single night. And I think if you do that, you're setting yourself up for disappointment because of what you're saying, because of the learning curve because of how long it's going to take for this team to really come together and gel. And there's going to be some ugly performances that are going to get mixed in there. In fact, within games, we're going to see stretches where they look good and things are crisp and things are clicking, and then they might go through uh, some trouble, right? That's what happens when you put together all these guys. But the hope has to be that in the long run, as the season goes on, eventually things like that will start to come together particularly on the defensive end of the floor. I think that's where we're going to see a lot of miscues and things of that nature. So again, temper those expectations. Don't go into the season expecting dominance right out of the gate, because I think that's where you're likely to be disappointed. You have to be in this for the long haul. Look at the big picture and where we should really see this team start to hit their stride. It's probably February-ish, maybe coming out of the all-star break right around there. That's when we should think, see things really start to fire on all cylinders. Knock on wood, health willing. Yeah, and, and one thing that's, you know, last season, um, remember those like really long extended scoring droughts yeah. that the team would go on where it was like, oh man, they just haven't scored in eight minutes. That's incredible. How did they do that? I think you're going to see the opposite this year where it's, wow, the opposing team has scored on 14 consecutive possessions. Wow, that's really bad. Like I could see a lot of that happening in the early, early months of the season where it's like, Wow, they can't buy a stop right now. Okay, so let's I, I let's get into that then. Let's jump to the defense first, right? And there's concerns here, but I think we want to make sure that we put this into context of, I have the Lakers coming out of the Western Conference. I think this is going to be a very good team. I think it's going to take a little while to get to the, that point, but the defense is my biggest concern, more so than the offensive end. And that's a little bit strange for a Frank Vogel-led team, for a team that was really good defensively last season. But Ron, what concerns do you have on the defensive end of the floor before I start getting into, into my laundry list of defensive issues? Yeah, so my, my big worry with this team defensively, and again, I, I like you, I have them coming out of the West in our uh, Lakers Nation prediction uh, article mm -hmm. that's going to come out at some point today or tomorrow. 
Uh, I have them winning the championship at this moment. I did reserve the right to change my mind, but I have them winning the championship at this moment. But my big worry defensively is we are asking a lot. Frank Vogel and the Lakers, they're asking a lot of their interior defenders, Anthony Davis, Dwight Howard, DeAndre Jordan. Um, there is not a lot of perimeter support on this team. Um, Russell Westbrook is is fine. He's not a good defender. He's not a terrible defender, but he's not necessarily a good one either. Malik Monk, Kendrick Nunn, uh, Wayne Ellington, these are all guys with not good defensive histories. Um, so I worry about the perimeter defense and their... You know, it's it's just asking a lot of three guys down low. They really need to clog up that paint and block a lot of shots for this to work. Mm -hmm. And it's possible that they do it. And it's possible that Russell Westbrook shows a, a new side of him defensively because of the way the team is structured. But that that I would say off the bat is my biggest worry. Yeah. See, when I look at this team and I, I cautioned this a bunch during the offseason, I said, look, right now you look at the team and we tend to as fans, right, we tend to think everything is going to work out perfectly. And every fan base does this. This is not unique to the Lakers. Everybody looks at it and they say, oh my gosh, what a great signing. This guy's going to be phenomenal. This guy's going to be great. Wow, they signed all these great players. It doesn't always work out that way. Think about the stretch that, that uh, Wesley Matthews had last year where he wasn't even playable for a decent chunk of the season because he was that bad. Um, and you wouldn't have expected that. During the offseason, we talked about him being such this, this big addition for the Lakers. And you couldn't even put him on the floor. I do wonder about that defensively. For example, Wayne Ellington. Is he playable? In the preseason, that answer was no. He wasn't hitting threes at a high enough rate. Now, it's a tiny sample size. Wasn't hitting threes at a, tiny, at a high enough rate to make up for getting burned constantly on the defensive end of the floor. And Malik Monk, I think he was. But I think the Lakers, as much as we talk about their depth, they may be in a situation where in the bench unit, you can play Malik Monk. Or you can play Wayne Ellington. If you play both of them, your defense is toast. And that's something that's got to be a concern for a defense-first head coach like Frank Vogel, that he's got a lot of guys that are good shooters from outside. He's got some guys that are good defenders, but most of the time, those aren't the same player. You've got a guy who can shoot, but not defend. You have guys who can defend, but not shoot. And so that's going to be a struggle, particularly when we look at historically, the Lakers' path to success, if we look at the 2019-2020 title team, has been to find guys who do both, right? Danny Green, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, Avery Bradley to a lesser degree at that time. These are all guys that can play on both sides of the basketball, and I don't know if they've got enough of those guys this year. Again, I think they've got enough to get to the finals, so I'm not saying they're bad, but that's a concern to watch out for for this team. Yeah, and so I think Frank Vogel, not only is he going to have his work cut out for him in terms of getting together a good defensive team, building everyone up to be good defenders. He's also going to have his work cut out for him in figuring out lineup combinations that don't sacrifice either side of the floor. So like, like you said, you probably will never see Malik Monk playing alongside Wayne Ellington this season because if you play both of them, you're not going to stop anyone. Uh, the same can be said of on, on the flip side. If you put Avery Bradley with you know, let's say yeah. Kent Bazemore or Trevor Ariza, yeah. well, your offense is not going to look very good in those moments, but your defense will be fine. So, yeah, that that's going to be a combination thing. That's something that Frank Vogel is really going to have to work on in addition to building up a defensive scheme that works for all of his players. I think this is going to be the most challenging season for Frank Vogel as a coach 
compared to the previous two seasons because of that. Because he's a defense-first head coach, and we've already heard it from the Lakers, they basically have said a couple of things about defense in terms of how they're they're planning on getting by defensively. Because this is when you look at the roster, you say, oh, that's not a good defender. That's not a good defender. You just go down the list. You don't see many guys who are great defenders. And the Lakers have said essentially two things. Number one, they're going to ask Taylor Horton Tucker to defend the other team's best player on the wing, which maybe that's asking a bit too much of a 20-year-old. But now you can't even do that because he's out for at least three weeks. Now, again, big picture, maybe he comes back and he does it at a high level. He's 6'4", 7'1", wingspan. We've talked all about that. He's got the physical profile to do it. But for the near term, you don't have him in there. And then the other thing that they've said about defense is, well, we have one of the best defensive coaches in the NBA. We expect he's going to make it work. He's going to figure it out. That's asking a lot of Frank Vogel. Hey, Frank, you're such a good defensive coach. Here, we're giving you individually a pretty weak defensive bunch but we trust that you're going to turn them into a good defensive team. That's a lot on on Vogel. That's a lot on THT. And I don't know that either of those things are a high probability of working out perfectly well. So it's a bit of a gamble on the defensive end of the floor for the Lakers this year so far. Yeah, Frank Vogel in in 2021-22 this season, the challenges are so much different than last year. Last season, it was... X's and O's on paper, this is a fantastic team. But egos, roles, everything got in the way. Mm -hmm. Injuries, everything got in the way. It was, this is an amazing team on paper, but we just don't have the personalities to make it work. This year, it's, okay, we've thrown egos out the window. We've thrown personalities out. Everyone loves each other. On paper, it's not a perfect fit. So now Frank Vogel is going to have to go from an ego manager type coach to an X's and O's, let's figure this out. And I do think he's better suited for that type of coaching. Mm -hmm. So that's why I'm hopeful, and that's why I have them as a finals team. But yeah, it's a completely different challenge than last season. Yeah, and it will be interesting to see how he handles that. But let's let's jump to the other side of the ball, because that's, that's certainly more fun. Like, I've got concerns about defense. Big picture, I think offense is fine, if only because they've got LeBron James, Russell Westbrook, and Anthony Davis, right? If things break down, worst case, hey, LeBron, here's the ball, figure something out. And you're giving the ball to one of the most brilliant basketball minds ever, to one of the greatest ever, if not maybe the greatest ever. Like, your offense can take care of itself simply because of that. But I think there's potential here for this offense to be very, very good. So let's talk about that. What is it that it has you excited? Because I'm excited offensively, long-term, big picture about this team. Yeah, look, um, tra- transition offense. Yes, the Lakers should be the best transition team in the league this year, and I don't know if that means they'll have the most fast break points or wh- whatever statistic you want to use to measure best transition team. I imagine they will be first at that. This team is built for transition; they're built to run, and that's true of any Russell Westbrook team. But it's especially true of this team, where it's essentially lebron james and russell westbrook who are pure rim runners they will they will get downhill you have anthony davis who's obviously an all all nba talent all the time and then other than that you just have dudes that can shoot threes at a 40 percent rate you have like five or six of them so this team is built for that type of offensive style so i'm very excited for that i'm very excited to just see like like you said last year when plays broke down and LeBron James wasn't in the lineup, and Anthony Davis wasn't in the lineup, it was like, oh my goodness, <laughs> like, 
every play broke down and there was nothing to do about yeah. it. It was just like, well, someone's going to brick a 20-footer. Like, that's just what this is going to be. This year, if something breaks down, even if two of those three guys are not in the lineup, the third one will be able to do something. Even if all three are not in the lineup, Carmelo Anthony yep. can do something. Like, they have guys up and down the roster that can just go score. Kendrick Nunn, another Malik Monk, like, Taylor Horton Tucker. I'm just, just endless examples of guys where when the play breaks down, I trust them to get a pretty decent shot up. And that's why so, offensively we're we're excited about them, right? Like even if because if there's mistakes defensively, you're getting scored on. If there's mistakes made on the offensive end, they've got that safety net of worst case, hey, Carmelo Anthony, get us a good look. And he can do that. Now, maybe he's not going to be as efficient as he should be or something like that, but you're still going to get a decent opportunity to score on that possession because you've got guys like that. Now, the turnovers were a problem in preseason. I think that can get fixed, though. What we saw quite a bit of is, like you said, transition play, and the Lakers are very focused on it, on getting out in the fast break. They were second in pace in preseason. I would expect them to be up there in pace during the regular season as well. But they have to get accustomed to that. I just feel like they're not quite used to playing that fast just yet. And it created some turnover problems. So I think if you take your foot off the gas just a little bit, you'll still get the positives of getting out there and running, but you won't turn the ball over quite as much. I think that's going to be critical for the Lakers. And when they figure that out, when they really dial in the speed they need to play at in order to maximize Westbrook, and LeBron, and AD, and all the other guys that can get out there and run, THT in transition even once he's healthy. Uh, I think that's where not only are they going to be a very good offensive team, but that's also where it's going to be a lot of fun to watch this team on a nightly basis. Yeah, I completely agree with you, although I would really like to see you tell Russell Westbrook to his face that he needs to slow down. <laughs> he's not going to slow down. Oh, well. He's not going to. I think everybody else. Russ is yeah. going to go at his own pace no matter what, and he's yeah. going to try and drag everybody along with him. But the other yeah. guys, I think, you know, the Rondo hit-ahead passes. Okay, maybe let's let's slow down on those a little bit here and there. That's going to be a factor. Also, defensively, can they force turnovers? Even if they're not a great defensive team, if you can at least force live ball turnovers – then you can give yourself a chance to get out and run, which can in some ways mitigate defensive concerns. So overall, you can be a, a team that gets scored on a decent amount, but if you are also a team that can force live ball turnovers, that will allow you to take advantage of what we think is going to be a pretty deadly transition game. Yeah, and that's arguably, Russell Westbrook, that's arguably his biggest strength as a defender, Yeah, is forcing live ball turnovers. That's in my opinion, kind of the only thing that he's really a net positive at defensively is getting in passing lanes and forcing live ball turnovers. Everything else, you know, he kind of can get beat off the dribble. He doesn't really provide significant help, but he can force a live ball turnover very well. So that I'm excited to see that. I also think this is why Anthony Davis is so important because we're talking about playing at a slower pace. Anthony Davis plays basketball with such a slow and deliberate pace mm -hmm. and it's very it's very fun to watch because he he can control games by himself because he can slow the game down and still beat you in any way he chooses offensively and defensively. So that's why I think he's so vital to this team because he can control pace like very few others can. Well, let's talk about AD. So one of the big questions during the offseason has been, is he the center? Is he playing center? And I think maybe as focused as we've been on whether or not he starts at the center, center position, he's going to play minutes at both positions regardless. Regardless of whether he starts 
next to DeAndre Jordan or next to somebody else, another wing, and he's the, the nominal five, I think that you're going to need a solid performance out of Anthony Davis this season, regardless of where he starts. But what are you hoping for in terms of a minutes breakdown? Like, are you do you want to see 70-30 center to power forward, 60-40, 50-50? Like, what do you think in order for this roster to be successful, the Lakers need out of Anthony Davis in terms of sharing the floor with another big? Yeah, so in the regular season, I'm cool with 50-50. Um, I'm, I'm cool with... Him, him getting the center 50, uh, 50% of the minutes, and then DeAndre and Dwight split up the other 50%, take 25 each. Yeah, I'm totally cool with that. Preserve Anthony Davis. You'll be fine. You will win. Even schemat- even if it's schematically bad, you will win more than enough games to be a top four seed, health permitting. In the playoffs, 80-20. Like, <laughs> maybe even 85-15. It should be mostly Anthony Davis center minutes. And I trust Frank Vogel will do that because that's what he did when they won the championship yeah. two years ago. It was Dwight and JaVale. I'm so sorry. You've done great for us. We'll see you next series. <laughs> we don't like you in the series, so you're just not going to play. Um, and I think he'll do that again. And again, because it's Dwight Howard and because it's DeAndre Jordan, they will accept that willingly. I'm very excited about that. So in the regular season, 50-50 in the playoffs, 80-20, 85-15, even 90-10, just for fun. Yeah, agreed. I think that, look, you're going to need Anthony Davis to generate efficient offense. You're going to need him defensively quite a bit. His ability to switch on to just about anybody, his ability to guard on the perimeter. He is a difference maker on the defensive end of the floor. And one guy can't make up for everybody else around him not being good. But I think AD is going to be a major factor on both ends for the Lakers this season. I think he's going to have to be. I think we could see even a defensive player of the year caliber campaign out of Anthony Davis if he can stay healthy the whole time. That's another question mark with him. But in terms of offense, I don't think it's going to matter too much for him whether he's the five or the four, I have liked what I've seen out of him when he's the five. But if you watch the preseason, the Lakers pulled off a few little tricks in order to open up the paint, even when DeAndre Jordan was on the floor by having Jordan up high as a screener and not in the paint. So that's opened up the basket, which is also going to be really important for the next guy we need to talk about, Russell Westbrook, the, the zero in the three six zero for the Lakers. Russell Westbrook, I think the, more than anything else, having the paint open on the offensive end is important to him to a greater degree than any other Laker. Yeah, look, we we know. We know the shooting problems, right? Like, we've discussed this at length. He is not a good shooter, and he's not only not a good shooter, he's a high-volume not-good shooter. So there, there are a ton of worries there, especially when you're pairing him with LeBron James, who is a good shooter, but not... Not the greatest shooter in the world. So there, there is some concern there. But like we saw in the preseason and like we've seen in past teams, there are tricks and gimmicks mm-hmm. that you can use to get Russell Westbrook in a situation where he doesn't need to necessarily be a good shooter. Um, and he can still open the floor up for his team with, you know, the high the high pick and roll like we're talking about. And and also you can pair him with, you know, if you have Carmelo Anthony and Wayne Ellington out there, if you have Kent Bazemore and guys who can who can stop and shoot a corner three it's gonna work and it won't be pretty at first it's gonna take some time but I do think that there's a way that this works where Russell Westbrook doesn't need to be a league average three-point shooter and I think that if you can scheme around that that's where you're really going to get the benefits on the offensive end 
of having him there to take some of the burden off of LeBron, right? I mean, you mentioned it already. In seasons past, as soon as LeBron goes off the floor, the offense has fallen to pieces. Ideally, that will not happen this season because you'll have Russell Westbrook out there to help generate chances for other players with his ability to attack the basket. He's going to collapse defenses, kick out, ideally, to open shooters. That's what we're really looking for this season. I think that's one of the keys for the season. Uh, that was the goal with Dennis Schroeder was for him to take some of the playmaking burden off LeBron James. Did not work. He's just not quite a, a high enough caliber of playmaker. Russell Westbrook is. So in an ideal scenario, not only are you getting the relentless offensive attack of Russell Westbrook, but you're also getting a fresher and better LeBron James when games really matter because he's had Westbrook to take some of that burden from him. So how Westbrook plays this season is going to be critical, not just for himself, but for the other players on the team as well around him. It's going to be really important for the success of Dwight Howard, the success of DeAndre Jordan, the spot-up shooters. Just as they rely on LeBron to get them looks, they're also going to rely on, on Russell Westbrook this season. So that's going to be critical. Yeah, and, and Frank Vogel hinted at it today. Um, LeBron James is not going to play all 82 games. Yeah. I would be shocked if he played 70. Um, I think 60 to 65 is probably a pretty reasonable number. If I had to guess right now how many games he plays. Um, I'd, so with that said, if he's going to miss, you know, 15, 20 games, Russell Westbrook's going to need to play in those 15, 20 games. And I, I've I've often said, I've often made the joke that LeBron, Anthony Davis and Russell Westbrook should do a draft where they like choose which games to take <laughs> off. And they, Draw just, straws. they just stagger their load management <laughs> for the whole season. I'd love to see that. They're not going to do that, probably. I'd love to see it, though. But again, when LeBron James doesn't play, this is why they got the dynamic playmaker. They need a guy who the, the machine can keep running when LeBron's not in. Absolutely. And that and that needs to be Russell Westbrook on this roster. You look at, okay, Kendrick Nunn, I still think he was a nice value on that contract. He's not a playmaker. Rondo can be a playmaker, but he's getting up there in years, and we've seen his effectiveness kind of comes and goes as the season goes along. Please tell me playoff Rondo still exists because that guy we could definitely use come playoff time. But uh, most of the playmaking is going to fall onto the shoulders of LeBron James and Russell Westbrook. But let's use that to jump to LeBron, though. I think LeBron, we're still going to see a very effective LeBron James this season. I hope that LeBron has heard how many people have written him off because all I see everywhere is he's too old. And it's like we've just completely forgotten that until last year, when Solomon Hill rolled up on his ankle, he was the MVP. He was the favorite to win MVP last season. Now, I'm not expecting an MVP campaign this season, because I think he cares more about being healthy for the regular season. But this is still a dominant player, even going on 37 years old. This is going to be the main piece to the Lakers offense, right? As much as we want, might want to say, this is Anthony Davis's team now. Let's run the ball through him. In crunch time, when push comes to shove, Guys defer to LeBron because he's LeBron. It's just, it's what's going to happen. So I'm looking for an efficient and effective season for, from LeBron and hopefully a lot of opportunities to rest. Hopefully you get some in-game game load management because the Lakers get some blowout wins. And then he's able to take some nights off at certain points of the season in order to preserve himself and be healthy come playoff time. Yep. Uh, yeah. For Frank Vogel said he wants to limit, not limit, put us like a strict limit, but he wants to get LeBron around 34 minutes a night. Um, I would even like that to be 30 to 32 minutes a night. Mm -hmm. I don't really see a need for LeBron to play in, in the high 30s, low 40s in minutes. 
at all during the regular season. Um, I, yeah, I mean, look, it's, it's LeBron James. If LeBron James is on your team, your team runs through LeBron James. But the reason you have Russell Westbrook and the reason you have Anthony Davis is so that you don't have to do that all the time. And so I think, especially in the first couple weeks, well, this this situation might be different due to injuries. But once everyone's healthy, I could see a period of time where LeBron says, hey, I'm going to play all these games, but I want the offense to run through Anthony Davis or I want the offense to run through Russell Westbrook because I want to take a backseat in this game. I want to see what we look like when I'm not carrying the load on everything. I do think because of the injuries, LeBron and AD will be doing a lot in the opening weeks of the season. But I think there will be a time where LeBron says, hey, I'm going to play tonight. I'm going to play like 28, 30 minutes, but I'm not going to run things. I'm going to be kind of a spot up guy. Yeah. I'll play some defense. I'll run a couple plays. But like for the most part, tonight is for Russell Westbrook, Anthony Davis and all, all the role guys. That's in-game load management. And I do think we'll have an opportunity to see some of that. Uh, last thing before we wrap up here. We would be remiss if we went through this whole breakdown and we didn't talk about the most fun story that we've seen for the Lakers all offseason, HBK. Hillbilly Kobe, Austin Reeves. What are we expecting out of him this year? Because he has looked he has looked like he's belonged even in the lineup stacked with veteran Hall of Famers. Can this continue? Should we even have expectations for him during the regular season? It's tough to say. At, at this point, I'm comfortable saying that he is an NBA-level talent. Yeah. He, he belongs in the NBA. He's too good for the G League. right? Like If he went to South Bay right now, he'd probably dominate. He'd probably be really, really good. So he's an NBA-level player. I wonder, and I, I think this will be, you know, this is up to Austin Reeves. Mm -hmm. The first couple weeks of the season, they're not going to have Taylor Horton Tucker. They're not going to have Trevor Reza. They're not going to have Wayne Ellington, maybe. Kendrick Nunn and Malik Monk might be in and out of here with injuries. Avery Bradley might not be that good anymore. With all of that uncertainty, Austin Reeves is going to have a few weeks to show what he's made of in a regular season, in a, yep. in a meaningful NBA game. And if he's good enough, if he can show, hey, I can defend and shoot the three at a high level in this league, when everyone gets healthy, he will still be getting minutes, right? If he if he can be a quality defender and shoot the three at a 38% or higher clip, he absolutely should be a, an everyday role player for this team. I don't know if he can, but again, the first few weeks of the season, it's up to him. There, He can prove a lot in the first few weeks when all of these players are out or hobbled or just not themselves. Yeah, I think where I'm at with Austin Reeves is temper expectations. He's a rookie. Don't assume that he's I've got people who have said he should start. Let's not let's not get ahead of ourselves here, right? No, we shouldn't. He's he's done well in preseason. The regular season is a different animal, but there's a lot to be excited about here. So don't assume that he's going to be just great. Just like with the Lakers, right? Don't assume every single night that they're going to blow out their opponent because look at these names on the Lakers roster. Understand that it's a learning curve, that it's going to take time for them to build themselves up. Kind of same thing with Austin Reeves. Don't just assume that he's going to burst onto the scene and be this immediate contributor and everything's going to be great. No, he's a rookie. There's probably going to be some bumps in the road here and there. But understand, too, that what we've seen so far has been overwhelmingly positive in that not only do we see him making plays out there, but you watch the way the other Lakers respond and react to him. There's no hesitation to give him the ball. There's no, 
I don't know if I want to give him the ball in this situation. The other guys on the team are trusting him to make decisions on both ends of the floor, on both offense and defense. Um, that I think is pretty impressive for a guy who went undrafted and yes, he could have been drafted, but, uh, but he chose to go undrafted rather than get picked in the second round. It's still impressive that he is making that kind of an impact and you've got veterans clearly trusting him already. So, so far, so good. Be excited, but just temper expectations. Don't assume that the Lakers have found their next starter here or anything like that. Let's give him time to really get his legs under him, adjust to the NBA season, and then halfway through, check back in and we'll kind of see where he's at. Yeah, and I, I do want to, on the same note, uh, we've been hearing a lot of Reeves is the next Caruso oh, yeah. talk. I would I would caution everyone to stop with that. I'm not saying Austin Reeves can't become that level mm-hmm. of player, but even right out of right out of the draft, even when Alex Caruso was a two way guy and he was only playing thirty games a year with the Lakers, he was head and shoulders defensively above where Austin Reeves is now. Austin Reeves is a fine defender and a fine shooter. Alex Caruso was was an okay shooter, not great, but he was very good defensively right out of the gates I've, because of his athleticism and all that. So it, just temper expectations on the whole. He's the next Caruso talk. He's different from Caruso, and he he could become that in a couple years. I don't think he's there yet, he, and I don't think he will be there this year. He's being compared to Caruso in part because of the going undrafted piece, right? And then now Caruso came up through the G League and everything. Spent once one full season in the G League before he got onto the Lakers summer league team and then made his way onto the Lakers. So obviously Reeves is ahead of him in in that regard, but he's getting compared to Caruso because Caruso is just the most recent comp that we've got from the Lakers that made their way up, were unheralded and kind of made an impact by just doing the little things, right? So there's some similarities there. But Caruso was legitimately one of the best defensive players in the league last season, particularly on the perimeter. That's not what I expect out of Reeves. I think my personal comp for Austin Reeves, and I haven't shared this with anybody yet, so we'll see what the the Lakers nation thinks about this. But my personal comp for him, he's a guard version of Luke Walton. That's what I've got from him in terms of just being a guy who makes smart plays on the floor, isn't the fastest, isn't the biggest, isn't the strongest, isn't the best shooter, but the veterans like playing with him, playing off with him, off of uh, off of him, and trust him to make smart decisions out there on the floor. And if you remember Luke Walton's rookie season, Shaq making comments about how amazing it was that a rookie could get him the ball in the right spots. I see some similarities there. Yeah, Luke Walton, look, he's not he was not a great player, like in terms of like his athleticism, his skill set. He wasn't this, you know, he was never gonna be an all-star type player. Uh, but he never made mistakes on the court. It was like it was never like, man, what was Luke Walton thinking out there? That was a horrible turnover. Like, it was never that with him. He was always just doing the right thing at the right time. And I think that's also why the Caruso comps come into play. Because Caruso also was just just never made mistakes, but again, they're different players, Reeves and Caruso, in terms of skill set. Reeves and Walton, I, I actually do like that. I think for a debut of that take, I think it's a very good one because <laughs> they do have a lot of similarities in terms of the way they play the game and their actual skill set, what they're capable of doing, which is being a solid shooter, a solid defender, a solid passer, not going to make mistakes. Yeah, yeah. and I, I think you can run some kind of KCP-style sets 
for him in terms of getting him kind of coming off curls and things like that and then putting him into a decision making situation whether it's not whether or not it's actually shooting that shot but I think you can do some things with him there that'll be interesting but you know what the bottom line is I think the Lakers have found something here exactly what that is we'll have to wait to see but uh Ron let's wrap this thing up what's what are your final what's your final prediction for the Lakers this season what do you see happening yeah, so it'll it'll come out in our um, in our Lakers uh, in our Lakers Nation preseason or uh, prediction roundtable uh, that will come out today or tomorrow. But I, I have the Lakers going fifty three and twenty nine. I have them uh, winning the NBA Finals at the moment. I reserved the right to change that pending Kyrie Irving and the Nets. Um, whatever whatever happens there will impact my prediction. But for right now, that's what I have. Um, I, I feel good about it. Of course, things always change throughout the course of a season, but I do believe this is a finals team. Uh, and for myself, I've got the Lakers. I had them at 55 wins on the season, which might be overly optimistic. Maybe I'm balancing myself out a little bit and I'm being optimistic about the win total because I do have the Lakers coming up just short against the Nets in the NBA finals. And I know people get mad and they say, how can you be a Lakers guy and say that? It's only because we haven't seen the Lakers do it. We've seen the Nets with two stars look really good. I think they played at the highest level we saw anybody play at last season in the playoffs when they had at least two of their stars healthy. And obviously one of those two had to be Kevin Durant. Uh, but the Nets, we've seen them do it. The Lakers, this is such a new group, we just haven't seen it yet. So before I say the Lakers are the favorites, I need to see them work through all these issues and put it together on the floor before I'm going to put them ahead of the Nets as favorites. Again, though, I hope the Lakers win it. I want to see the Lakers win it very badly. want to see number 18. But uh, for right now, my head says you have to make the Nets as the favorites for the moment until the Lakers prove that they can get to that level. And and right now, so the way the way I actually had the Lakers beating the Bucks in the oh, finals, okay. and, what's, and the reason is this: the Nets, even without Kyrie Irving, they're still a very yeah. great team. There's just a lot of like stuff going on over there right now, and like it's hard to play a high level of basketball with all that stuff going on. So that's the biggest reason. We could be in a situation three weeks from now where I'm like, no, never mind. Like that was sure. stupid. The stuff didn't matter. Kyrie Irving didn't matter. Nets in four like that could change because I think they're that talented. Um, but I just the Bucks because they're coming off of winning a championship and because they beat the Nets to do it. I think they will feel this sense of confidence of we don't have any problems. We don't have any chemistry issues. We don't have any players sitting out like we have none of that. We can beat them and they they would be able to do it. Uh, but if the Nets are full strength or if. Harden and Durant just look incredible. They could very they could very easily beat the Bucs and the Lakers and just win it all, and that would be yeah. it. Yep, true. And again, I think the Lakers have the ability at their ceiling to take on the Nets, battle them, and come out with the win. But they've got to hit that high-level play, and we got to see how things work out with bringing this whole thing together. Well, Ron, I think that was a pretty comprehensive breakdown uh, preparing for the Lakers season. So thanks for joining me here and uh, and talking through all this. Yeah, I mean, look, I'm I'm excited for this season. I think it's going to be a lot of fun and you know, let's let's hope for the best. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's going to be fun. 
Lakers Nation, make sure you join us every single game. We do the Lakers Nation postgame show right after broadcasting right here on YouTube. Come join us. We talk about everything. We talk about the whole game, break everything down, and we take your questions and comments. So make sure you do join us for that as soon as the game ends. We go live. Make sure you subscribe here and turn on notifications as well so you get notified as soon as we do go live. And make sure you guys head over to LakersNation.com for everything going on in the world of the Los Angeles Lakers. Till next time, everybody, stay safe and see ya.